Blog Talk Radio. The B I B I L E, that's the book for me. The B I B I L E, that's the book for me. The B I B I L E, that's the book for me. The B I B I L E, that's the book for me. I have a book. It teaches me everything that I know in me. It shows me how I need to grow. sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you have never contacted Grace to You, we want to send you a free booklet by John called Found God's Peace. It will show you the power you have as a believer to defeat worry and to experience profound peace in every circumstance. Request your free booklet by writing to peace at gty.org. That's peace at gty.org. This offer is good in North America and Europe through December 2021. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here's Grace to You Bible teacher John MacArthur. I want to take you back to Luke 17 again this morning. I have a lot to say, 
And I, I, I want to say things that will be definitive and helpful to you because it's very apparent to us now that we who are in the invisible kingdom are living in the middle of another kingdom. When Jesus prayed to the Father, He didn't say, take them out of the world. He said, keep them from the evil one. We have to be in the world. Otherwise, we can't preach the gospel. So we are this invisible kingdom in the middle of a visible kingdom that is getting more wicked all the time. In Luke chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus was questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming. They thought it was still future, and elements of it are, of course. But He answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For the behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst or among you. That is an incredible statement. They were looking for a kingdom in the future, and the kingdom was there because the king was there. We don't know a lot about kingdoms and kings, so I want to help you with that. We haven't had, as I said a week ago, a king in our history, well, until now. <laughs> America has been gradually becoming a kingdom with a king, an evil kingdom with an evil king and his evil agents. How did that happen? Turn to Romans chapter 1, and I want to rehearse for you some very important portions of Scripture. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Now the wrath of God takes many forms. It could be eternal wrath. It could be eschatological wrath, the wrath that's described in the book of Revelation. It could be the wrath of sowing and reaping, built-in judgment to certain behaviors. But this wrath is not any of those, but rather described as follows. It's wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So it's a kind of wrath that has to unfold on a society that is suppressing truth. Wherever you have a society suppressing truth, it necessarily then is characterized by ungodliness and unrighteousness. That which is known about God, says verse 19, is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. God has revealed Himself to the degree that man is without excuse if he doesn't acknowledge the existence of God. And when men suppress that knowledge in ungodliness and unrighteousness, a kind of wrath comes out of heaven. This wrath is for those, verse 21, who knew God, did not honor Him as God or give thanks. It comes on a society that inexcusably turned against the living God who is the Creator of all. 
and in the case of our society, turns against the revelation of Scripture which has been available to everyone. Though they knew God, that is, they knew God existed because it was clear in the creation and in the Scripture, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. They became empty in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Those who reject God are fools. When I talk about an evil kingdom, I'm also talking about an evil kingdom made up of fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. You might say that's ancient animism. You might also say it's modern environmentalism. Therefore, and here's the judgment, God gave them over. Language of turning someone over to prison for incarceration and execution. So how do you know when this wrath is operating? You know when a society turns from God that had the knowledge of God but by creation and Scripture, when they give up on the truth of God and exchange God for a materialistic, secular worldview, that form of social, national, cultural apostasy leads to God giving them up, turning them over. And what does that look like? The first phase in verse 24, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So the first thing you would see in a culture under judgment is a sexual revolution, immorality, impurity, lust, unbounded, dishonoring their bodies among them, pornography as a norm. The second is in verse 26, God then gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, that's lesbianism. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own person the due penalty of their error, and that might be AIDS. So first you'll have a sexual revolution when God's wrath is unleashed on a society that turns against Him. Secondly, you'll have a homosexual revolution. Sound familiar? Verse 28 says there's a third step. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. That's a mind that doesn't function. There's a kind of insanity. What does that refer to? Not accepting reality. I read yesterday that this one author wants people to know there are a hundred genders. That's insanity. And what comes out of that kind of insanity that we're seeing now where you're not even dealing with reality? We're making laws to make the insane feel normal. What comes out of that? All kinds of things that are not proper. All unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, haters of God, 
insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Okay, that's what you get in that culture of insanity. Verse 32 says the insanity is so severe that though they know the ordinance of God, how do they know it? Because it's built into the fabric of their humanity. The law of God is written in the heart. And in our case, they've had the Bible. And even though they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. They make them legal. Why are we where we are? Because we're under this wrath. This is not just us. Acts 14 says God has allowed all the nations to go their own way. This is the cycle of human history. We're now in an evil kingdom. The kingdom we're in is so evil that God's wrath has been unleashed. We've been living in it for a number of decades now, from the sexual revolution through the homosexual revolution to the reprobate mind where you can't even think straight and reality and fantasy are mingled. The evil kingdom holds its power by one thing, lies. And that's what Paul said. They exchange, verse 25, the truth of God for lie. The evil kingdom gains its power by lies. It holds its power by lies, by suppressing the truth. What the evil kingdom fears most is truth. Truth. The kingdom of darkness, the evil kingdom, has a ruler. Turn to John chapter 8. Being foundational here, John chapter 8, Jesus said to religious Jews who had rejected God, John eight forty four, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks the lie... He speaks from His own nature, for He is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe Me. Verse 47, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you're not of God. If you're in the evil kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, Satan, the archetypal liar, propagates lies through that kingdom, and that's really all you can believe because you have no capacity to believe the truth. So what threatens the kingdom of lies is truth. The liar's history is pretty well known. God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, gave them a command, Satan showed up, the liar, and told Eve, God lied. You're not going to die. God lied to you. She believed the liar, and the whole human race fell. Now, the Apostle John says the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. The lap of the evil one is a lap of lies. 
By the way, it's an interesting note when you come to the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, 15, and we're in eternal heaven. It says the liars are outside for the first time in redemptive history and forever. Heaven will have only the truth. The kingdom of darkness is a kingdom of lies. Even humanity recognizes the importance of truth. Plato said, no one is more hated than he who speaks the truth. George Orwell said, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. A line that came out of the Nazi German era, those who burn books will soon burn people because they have to stop the truth. The truth is the only power against the lies. This is not new to us. This is essentially the indictment of Isaiah against Israel back in chapter 5. It says among the indictments, chapter 5 of Isaiah, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's what happens. The evil kingdom switches everything. Everything is inside out and upside down. Now, I'm going to give you an axiom that you need to remember. A society is defined by what it will not tolerate. Did you get that? A society is defined by what it will not tolerate. When God wanted us to know His will, He didn't say, let me give you ten suggestions of what would be good behaviors. He gave us ten commandments. Because life is always going to be defined by what you tolerate. In the past, even in our country, there was a traditional Judeo-Christian, biblical, conventional morality. And there were laws against certain kinds of behaviors. And when you violated those traditional laws drawn from Scripture, there was shame. Those of you who went to college probably read The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, a look at 1850 viewpoint from Nathaniel Hawthorne of early America and the sad story of Hester Prine who committed adultery and had to go through the rest of her life with an A stamped on her. That was the old culture where biblical morality still had sway and Shame was connected to the things that the Bible assigns shame. And that culture and the cultures that followed, adultery was scorned, fornication was looked down on, homosexuality was hardly talked about, lesbianism was rare because women have a natural instinct to bear children with a husband. Transgender beyond imagination. These kinds of things were virtually unacceptable and unimaginable. Then came the rejection of God. Then came the rejection of Scripture. And so the transcendent sacred authority whose law 
was a standard for everyone, gave rise to what Carl Truman calls the modern self, where sovereignty goes from an external sacred standard of God to the individual. And now we have self-styled sovereignty. Everybody's a sovereign over his own life and can declare himself to be anything he wants to be. God was rejected. The Bible's rejected. And with it, biblical morality. Everything goes to individualism. As a result, what our society will not tolerate is exactly the opposite of what it would not tolerate in the past. So we are now in an overturned morality. This society is making laws to normalize, justify sins, blatant sins. Since the new king has come to power, I'm sure no previous ruler has been so consumed with LGBTQ transgender perversion. When you have the swearing-in of the new Secretary of State, and in being sworn in, he vows to put a gay pride flag on every U.S. embassy on the planet. There's some kind of perversion that has literally turned our culture upside down. If you disagree with this, you're a domestic terrorist. You're an extremist. Now, if you disagree with this, you're a danger. You're breaking the law. You're homophobic, transphobic. You need to be silenced. You need to be terminated. You need to be marginalized. Maybe you need to be silenced altogether or removed. Laws are being made to criminalize righteousness. Laws are being made to silence, terminate truth speakers. Half of the states in America have such laws. An Air Force chaplain was removed from his duty because he gave a message against sexual immorality. He was dismissed. You either bake the cake or go to jail. The new king can't stop making rules, can he? You say, why are you calling this a monarchy? Because of executive orders that are just endless. That's unilateral rule. The king and the kingdom of lies will not tolerate the truth. To speak the truth is the greatest threat. They define it as hate speech, personal animus, and now, as I said, domestic terrorism. And to sort of create theater about that, they put fences around the Capitol building and 30,000 troops as if we are such a frightening enemy that they need to arm Washington to defend themselves. There can be no civil liberties for those who tell the truth. There can be no freedom of speech for those who tell the truth because they invade safe spaces, they trigger people. 
So the king and his lying agents must demonize the truth-tellers. And then they need to demonize the past. They need to kill history. They need to go back so past moral standards don't crawl up out of the grave and offend somebody. Strong societies have their foundation in sacred truth. They have a transcendent standard. When that is removed, what you have is barbarism, according to one writer. Barbarism means paganism, lack of civilization. So the trend here is exactly what Romans 1 said. It's ungodliness and unrighteousness, godless paganism, hating God, hating Christ, hating the Scripture, hating the true church, and fearing the truth. There was a Taiwanese general who was asked a question by a medical doctor uh, about how Taiwan escaped the pandemic uh, initially. And uh, this Taiwanese general said this, we have an entire department in the Taiwanese government that does nothing but monitor Chinese social media. And everything they censor, we know to be the truth. If you're living in a reversed world, you have to think in reverse. You're being lied to all the time. Here's a testimony from Natalia Sakovich, uh, who came to Grace 30 years ago with her five children. You know them. They left the USSR because of persecution. She finished high school. Of course, at the top of her class is valedictorian because all our kids are smart. <laughs> she um, began her university studies on a prestigious, full-funded scholarship. She was being prepped to work as a translator in London in the Soviet embassy, so she was studying English. Her path would change when she became a believer. When the authorities found out that she was a believer, they demanded that she and her sister resign from their job. They ended up working as cleaning ladies. She couldn't find a job after graduation. She spent the next 13 years as a cleaning lady, cleaning the offices and emptying the trash bins of Soviet scholars, even though she graduated the top of the class. When her older brother became a believer, he was expelled from the Ph.D. program in mechanical engineering in the final semester of his studies. Her sister was expelled from another program in architecture after a woman saw her reading the Bible on a train. I'm afraid that masks are a perfect training ground to teach people how to confront behavior they don't like, and that can easily transition when they're sent out to find Christians and confront that and report that as well. Anyway, her sister was expelled. But Natalia continued to play an important role in the underground church. She had regular meetings with believers from other countries who supported Soviet believers. They had a secret code. Um, if they said, Grandmother isn't feeling well, the meeting was off. If the telegram said, Grandmother's looking forward to the birthday party, church was on. 1976, when Natalia and her fellow congregants came to church on a winter Sunday, they discovered on the front door of the building a large lock which had been placed there by the Soviet authorities. 
For the next two years, the congregants met in the forests of Riga, Latvia during the warm months and in people's homes during the winter. When police discovered the location, they showed up to scatter the meeting and arrest the leadership. Despite the threat of arrest, the church continued to meet and accept new members, baptizing new converts in local lakes in the middle of the night, sometimes in the middle of the winter. 1981, Natalia's home was raided by 17 KGB agents and police officers who confiscated six large bags of religious material and personal belongings. During those years, Natalia's friends were arrested on various occasions, interrogated by the KGB, and sent to prison for multiple-year sentences. Her best friend, a 19-year-old young woman, was sent to a Siberian labor camp for six years for participating in a children's Christian camp. And while the Soviet authorities prevented Natalia from working as a translator for the communist regime, she became the church translator for all the missionaries who visited her local church. In God's providence, she brought that little family here. She must have been your first English teacher. And what an incredible blessing. Is your mom here today? Mom, where are you? If you're here, you need to stand up. I know you don't like that. Where are you? There she is, right there. All of that was the result of Marxism and socialism, words you're hearing all the time. All the time. Satan is the liar king. He's the liar king. He has a massive supernatural force of demons against whom we wrestle. His children are liars. The kingdom of darkness is known by its lies. This has penetrated the most sacred halls of our government, the Supreme Court. In 2013, the United States Supreme Court struck down the Defense of Marriage Act to make way for homosexual behavior and marriage, and actually declared in their filing that religious objections to homosexuality come from hate. God is out. Prayer is out. The Ten Commandments are out. Get those off the wall. The Bible is out. Blasphemy is in. Immorality is to be protected. In fact, laws are, be, are to be made and enforced to normalize perversion. Cancel all dissent. There can't be any dissent. That's why people are getting canceled. That's why their Twitter accounts are being taken down. And big tech is in cahoots with this paganism. And for the first time in human history, they can shut down anybody they want. This leads me to draw your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Your watch is irrelevant this morning. Stop looking at it. <laughs> I know what you're doing in those pauses. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. Though we walk in the flesh, and it doesn't mean sin, but humanity. Though we're human, we do not war according to the flesh. We, we can't fight this spiritual battle with any human strategies. The weapons of our warfare are not human. 
but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We, we, we've got to realize that we're, we're assaulting fortresses. That's the word for palaces, forts, prisons, and tombs. We're assaulting massive stone edifices. We have to destroy them. And we don't expect to do that with human ingenuity and human strategy. What are these fortresses? He says in the next verse, we're destroying logismos, ideas, ideologies, philosophies, speculations. We are destroying lies because they are defined further as every anti-God idea, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We as a church in the world have the responsibility to assault the fortresses of lies while we're here. To smash down every idea raised up against the true knowledge of God. And then on the positive, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's magnificent language, isn't it? We turn people from lies to the truth. That's why we're here. So do you understand what a threat we are? We exist in the world for one purpose, and that is to expose the lies and to bring the truth. And when lies dominate the kingdom at every point, and when they are basically the foundation of the society's laws, we are not tolerable. But we are the kingdom, and the kingdom is here because the king is here. God is our king. Psalm 47, 7, God is the king of all the earth. Psalm 74, 12, God is my king. Psalm 45, 6, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Psalm 10, 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. Jeremiah 10, 10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king the nations cannot survive His indignation. Isaiah 33:22 says, The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our King. He will save us. He's a king that doesn't need investigating. Except to find the truth about Him on the pages of Scripture. He is holy, holy, holy. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, I want to read just a portion of that chapter starting maybe at verse 12. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God or to fear Yahweh your God, to walk in all His ways and love Him, and to serve Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep Yahweh's 
commandments and His statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Behold, to Yahweh your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did Yahweh set His affection to love them, and He chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples as it is this day. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For Yahweh your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality unlike politicians and doesn't take a bribe. So wouldn't democracy fix all this? Uh, no. No. When God created man, I want you to follow this. When God created man, I mean a functioning democracy. We had that. When God created man, He created him in His image, right? So when you think about that, what do you think about? I think about it in three terms. He created him in God's image, and that first reality is that we can relate. Relationships. God is Trinity, right? So the image of God is the ability to have relationships. Relate. Second is to create, not procreate. Every living thing procreates, but to create something other than yourself. This is, what's, this is where the, the image of God is most often seen in the massive amount of creation from technology to art and everything in between that comes out of man. Man has that component, not just to procreate. Monkeys don't write symphonies but to write a symphony. But there's a third thing. God created man in His image to relate, create, and dominate. Dominate? Yes. Back to Genesis chapter 1. Man's king of the earth. God said in chapter 1 of Genesis verse 26, let's make man in our image. Here's the first thing He says, according to our likeness, and let them rule. Let them rule. And he said it again in verse 28. Let them rule. It's a Hebrew word, radah. It means to dominate by force. So Adam was created to be a king. That's right. Adam was created to be, to be a king. And God's ultimate plan is for a king to reign forever, right? When men fell, when Adam fell, his crown was taken away and uh, Satan became king. We now live, according to Acts 26, in the dominion of Satan. But God promised that there would come a greater king who would crush Satan's head. But until he came, and even after he came, all human history is the story of the usurper, the evil king Satan, ruling the world through other evil kings until the coming of the king of righteousness. Even the best of kings is evil. They're all fakes and frauds in some sense. They're, they're all part of the kingdom of darkness because the system is in the darkness. We're grateful when there are rulers that are Christians, but the reality is that Satan rules the world. The whole world lies in his power. 
And so it's just a series of evil kingdoms. They can be influenced by Christianity, but eventually they fall into evil as we've seen. They're all, all these kings are previews of Antichrist. All of them. Last week we saw that Saul was a preview of Antichrist. The final world ruler. And John says even now there are many Antichrists. Any godless leader is an Antichrist. History reflects that God designed kings to be the norm. And when a king is relatively good, there is blessing because the government functions to punish evildoers and to protect those who do good, like Romans 13 lays it out. But history reflects that kings, by God's design, are a common grace given to us, but there's no expectation that they would do what the righteous king will do, and that is to rule according to the will of God. Evil kings then are more pictures of Antichrist than they are of Christ. Few glimpses of pictures of Christ. David, a man after God's own heart, 1 Samuel 13. Along the way, God has some Christ-honoring rulers, but none of them can picture perfectly the final ruler, and nor can any of them crush Satan. So even a believing ruler in a nation can't overpower the darkness, can't vanquish the usurper. There's an illustration of this, two illustrations of this. The first one comes in the book of Daniel in chapter 2, verse well, we'll look just at verse 37. This is the dream that the pagan king has, Nebuchadnezzar. He had these dreams. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. Really. He was dreaming that about himself. That's a problem. By chapter 4, he's spending seven years out in the field like a beast until he learns that the true God reigns. You may think you reign as some king, but only God reigns. The New Testament counterpart to that is in the 12th chapter of Acts, one of the most serious warnings to evil rulers is the account of Herod, who was impressed with himself as Nebuchadnezzar was. And so, in verse 20 of Acts 12, um, we are introduced to this event. On an appointed day, verse 21, Herod put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum, or the judgment seat, and began delivering an address to the people. The people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he didn't give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. You know what I love about this? The next verse. But the Word of God continued to grow and to be multiplied. The king will die, the Word will live. No matter what the king does, he will die and the Word will live. 
When we come to the New Testament, we come to the introduction of the perfect King, our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter 1, as I told you last time, an angel comes to Mary, Gabriel, and says to her, verse 30, Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. This is the annunciation that the true king has arrived. And from then on, this is something very, very important to Luke. Chapter 8, verse 1. He began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom had come because the king had come. Chapter 9, he called the twelve together, gave them power and authority over all the demons, healed diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 26, that same chapter, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Chapter 10 and verse 9, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Chapter 11, verse 20, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Chapter 12, verse 31, seek His kingdom and these will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. And so it goes all the way through Luke. In John 18, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. So who is in this kingdom? this kingdom of light in the midst of the kingdom of darkness. Those who are born again. John 3, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You have to be born from above. To those who are regenerate and those who repent, repent for the kingdom is here. Matthew 4:17. For those who are humble and broken over their sin, hear these words of our Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritually bankrupt, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they know they don't have. They will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. They'll receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What identifies you as someone in the kingdom is spiritual bankruptcy that comes to God, mourning over your sin, crying out for His righteousness, a righteousness that you do not possess, receiving that righteousness which manifests itself in meekness, mercy, purity, peace, and persecution.
It's also the dependent who are in the kingdom. Jesus said, unless you become like a little what? Child can't enter my kingdom, Matthew 18. But let me sum it up the way Mark sums it up in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus came, verse 14, into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, this is so important, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom has come. The invisible kingdom, the spiritual kingdom. Repent and believe in the gospel. So how do you get out of the kingdom of darkness that will be destroyed and is being destroyed into the kingdom of light? What do you do to be delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son? You must be regenerate. That's a work from heaven. You must repent. That's a work that the Spirit does to convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment. You must recognize your spiritual bankruptcy and poverty and that there is no righteousness which can at all satisfy God's requirement for a kingdom citizen. You must understand that you are utterly dependent. You have nothing to offer God. You come like a child with no accomplishments. But summing it all up, as Mark does, you have to believe the gospel. You have to believe the gospel. The true kingdom is here. The king was there. The Jews were not interested in that king, as our nation is not interested in him. So Peter said to them on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.22, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through Him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put Him to death. John put it this way, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. He was in the world, the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. But verse 24 of Acts 2 says, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. There is a king you can't kill. He already died and rose and lives forever. Turn to the book of Revelation. We don't have time to go through all that's there, but a few minutes... Look at chapter 1, verse 5. Jesus Christ. I love this. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the prototokos, the premier one from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and released us from our sins by His blood, and He has made us to be a kingdom, a kingdom of priests, which means we have direct and total access to the Holy of Holies, to His God and Father, to Him, the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and released us from our sins by His blood, 
to him who made us to be a kingdom, to him who made us priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And everybody said, This is our king. This is our king. The kingdom is here. The king is here. He lives in his people. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But the day is coming when he will come to establish his kingdom on earth. Listen to Revelation 11:15. The seventh angel sounded. There were voices, loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Stop right there. Right now, the kingdom of the world is not his. Right? It's ruled by wicked kings. It's under the rule of Satan. But the day is coming when the kingdom of the world, not just the invisible kingdom, but the visible kingdom, the world, will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And verse 18 says, there'll be wrath when He comes, and He will destroy those who rejected Him. In the 19th chapter of Revelation, verse 11, the scene is even more dramatic. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and what? True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. Say it with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. And every eye will see Him, will they not? Right now the King is invisible. The true King is here. He lives in His people. He lives in you and me. Now, not everybody who claims to be in the kingdom is in the kingdom. I hear very wicked people say they're religious. They're spiritual. They go to a certain church. Listen to the words of our Lord in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Really. Not everyone who goes to Mass one day and the next day makes laws that blaspheme God should expect to be going to heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and your name cast out demons, your name perform many miracles? That's very religious. I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Why didn't he not know them? Because they were practicing what? 
Yeah, it's the character of their lives that is the acid test of whether they are kingdom citizens or not. We know the kingdom is mixed. Matthew 13 says the wheat and tares go together. Only the angels can separate. So how do we respond? If you're a non-Christian, let me say this to you. Repent and believe in the gospel. The king is here. The kingdom is here. Or Matthew 5, or 6.33, if you will, seek His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things? The things that you will ever need in time and eternity. What is the reward of coming into the kingdom? Well, the truth will make you free. Luke 22, 29, and 30, And just as My Father granted Me a, a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at My table in the kingdom. You get to be at the head table in the eternal kingdom. Sit forever with Christ. Oh, not just at the table. Revelation 3, 21, And sit down with Me on My throne as I sat on My Father's throne. So if you are non-Christian, the kingdom is here, the king is here, repent and believe the gospel. Now what about a Christian? Well, you could take a cue from the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in his calling from God, showed us essentially what we all should be doing. He says to King Agrippa, giving his testimony in Acts 26, um, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. The Lord gave me a vision, a call, and I was obedient. So what was that obedience? I kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles. From where I started in Damascus to the, to the whole Gentile world, I, I declared the message. And what was the message? that they should repent and turn to God. So you're a believer. What's your responsibility? The same thing. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we are, we are unique people. First Peter 2, can't resist verses 9 and 10. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's why we're here. Did you get that? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His light, uh, His marvelous light. And those excellencies are intolerable in the kingdom of lies. Intolerable. You are aliens, you are strangers. Keep your behavior excellent. Even when they slander you, even when they persecute you. So I would suggest that this is what we do. And blessed are you when you're persecuted. But that's evidence you're in the kingdom. There's one other thing I want you to do. And... I want to show it to you from First and Second Timothy. First Timothy chapter two. This is very straightforward now. First of all, then, 
priority, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Are you ready for this? For kings and for all who are in authority. So what are you supposed to be doing for the evil king and the evil empire and all his evil agents? What's your responsibility? Proclaim the truth and do what? Pray. What are you praying for? You're praying for their salvation. Verse 4, God, it is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior to do that because God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of what? The truth. So we have to proclaim the truth. We can't hedge. We can't compromise. We can't hide it. We can't soften it. We proclaim the truth and we pray for the salvation of those in leadership from the president on down. 2 Timothy 2:26 I'm sorry 22 to 26 Flee youthful lusts pursue righteousness with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart be a part of the family of God the fellowship of those who are calling on the Lord from a pure heart refuse foolish and ignorant speculations don't get caught up in stupid arguments like evangelicalism is right now refuse foolish and ignorant speculations they just produce quarrels. The Lord's slave must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So there we are again. We're going after people who are caught in the snare of the devil. That requires obedience to the commission, prayer, and the truth, because we're leading them to the truth. We're bringing every thought captive to Christ. One more time, turn back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. This is the benediction. Now... Verse 5, to Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. He's our model for faithful witness. The firstborn from the dead, we followed Him. We were dead and we live. The ruler of the kings of the earth, and we reign in Him. To Him who loves us and released us from our sins by His blood. And He has made us to be a kingdom, priests with access to His God and Father, to Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. amen. And by the way, I need one more amen for verse 7. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him, so it is to be. Amen. Let's pray. I think of the words of Isaac Watts who wrote the hymn that touches on this text in Revelation, Now to the Lord that makes us know the wonders of His dying love, be humble honors paid below and strains of nobler praise above. Twas He that cleansed our foulest sins and washed us in His richest blood, to see that makes us priests and kings and brings us rebels near to God. To Jesus our atoning priest, to Jesus our superior King, be everlasting power confessed, and every tongue His glory sung. Behold, on flying clouds He comes, 
and every eye shall see Him move. Though with our sins we pierced Him once, then He displays His pardoning love. The unbelieving world shall wail while we rejoice to see the day. Come, Lord Jesus, nor let Thy promise fail, nor let Thy chariots long delay. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible teacher with grace to you. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit grace to use website at gty.org. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file.
help us know above all that his will be done. We pray that God will provide all our needs, that we will glorify him in all our deeds because of Jesus and how we die in our place. We can come to the throne of grace. We can pray. Building a Biblical Worldview. This is Ken Ham, author of the brand new book on parenting entitled, Will They Stand? Dad and Mum, the world is out to get your kids. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we often believe that things like the school system or children's entertainment are merely neutral, but they aren't. The Bible says you're either for Christ or against him. Everyone has a worldview, and by and large, schools and entertainment are driven by a secular worldview. The idea of neutrality, well, it's a myth. If you're a believer, you want your children to build a biblical worldview, to think according to God's word. It's the only way they can stand strong in the midst of the raging hurricane of moral relativism that's raging around us. Ready to equip your family to think biblically? Find thousands of free resources at AnswersRadio.com. The whole family will love all the Bible-upholding teaching at AnswersRadio.com.
What goes to heaven with you? This is Ken Ham, CEO of Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, and the Ark Encounter. In my public talks, I share a picture that has material things in it like a house and a car, and it also includes a young child. Then I ask the audience, what can you take to heaven with you? The audience usually says nothing, but there's one thing you can take to heaven with you, your child. Of all the things in that picture, only the child has an eternal soul. That soul will live forever, either in heaven or in hell. Now, does that change your priorities? Many parents don't prioritize biblical teaching, but what you teach your children has eternal consequences. The things of this earth will pass away. So commit your time to teaching your children God's Word. Find resources for the whole family when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. Discover articles, videos, books, curriculum, and so much more when you go to AnswersRadio.com. We kick it old school. 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 Come on, come on, don't miss the latest craze. Hit it for a minute, then it's on to the next phase. Easy come, easy go, the marketers will hack it. The only change that comes, winds up in a pocket.
kick it old school. What are Vegemite Kids? This is Ken Ham, and we've produced the family-friendly Answers Bible curriculum. Okay, you're probably wondering, what's a Vegemite Kid? Well, in Australia, we have a delicious spread called Vegemite, made from yeast and salt. And we use it like Americans use peanut butter. Now, most Americans don't like it, but Australians love it. And that's because we've acquired a taste for it from a young age. Now, think of God's word like Vegemite. You know, our natural inclination is to ignore and reject God's word. To produce Vegemite kids, we need to feed them a steady diet of the things of God from a young age. So, read the Bible with your kids, pray with them, teach apologetics, and let them see you living out the Bible right from day one. Discover more about a biblical worldview when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you go to AnswersRadio.com.
passion for sharing God's word and the gospel with the world. In scripture, we see that God created men to lead their families and be the spiritual head of the home. 
And sadly, for some families, this just isn't possible. But if you're a believing father, I want to challenge you. Are you spiritually leading your family? Maybe you don't know what that looks like or where to begin. Well, here's three ways to begin. One, read your Bible and let them see you read it. This isn't for show. This is to set an example for your kids. Second, read your Bible with your family. Read it with your wife and read it to your children and have your children read it to you. And three, teach apologetics. Help your family know what you believe and why. Find resources to help you train your family in the ways of the Lord when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Find faith-affirming videos, articles, books, and more at AnswersRadio.com. Here we go, kids, gather round. A brand new sound to praise the one who has the crown. In today's lesson, we'll talk about the Holy Bible, the most important book we all need for survival. The Bible is God's message for this world. It's for every man and woman, every boy and girl. And that message is that if we turn to Christ and place our trust in Him, we'll have eternal life. Now when we're at church, yeah, it's fun, it's cool. When we hear a lot of stories in Sunday school, like Jacob and Noah, Moses and Daniel, David and Jonah, Joseph, and Samuel, but all the little stories tell one big story about the God who made all things for his glory. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero and his name is Jesus. Should we begin when God made the whole wide world just by speaking? By his great might, he said, let there be light. The light he called day and the dark he called night. He made the earth and the seas, the dirt and the seeds, the herds and the trees, the birds and the bees. But the big surprise God had up the sleeve. On day number six, created Adam and Eve, made in the image of the beautiful Most High. God told them, be fruitful and multiply. Everything's yours, but that tree do not try. Because in the day you eat it, you're surely going to die. I'm sure you know the rest. Yes, they failed the test. And ever since then, the world has been a big mess. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero, and his name is Jesus. Today, the greatest saints had their flaws on full display, and it was written down for us in order that we may recognize that Christ is the only way. Adam ate forbidden fruit and lost his life. Abraham got scared and lied about his wife. Sarah laughed to herself when she heard God's promise. Rebecca encouraged her son to be dishonest. Aaron used crafts to make a golden calf. Moses got mad, struck the rock with a staff. David sinned greatly, even lost his baby. And Jacob, he was just all around shady. The point is not to make light of our flaws, but to show that every one of us needs the cross. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero and his name is Jesus.
coming from Ken, this is something that I feel like a lot of Christians feel at time to time. He says he tells his daughters what uh, he knows they need to hear, but uh, he feels like a hypocrite a lot of times because of the horrible things that he thinks that he wants to do and that he thinks about. So how can he tell his girls the good things when he's thinking about the bad? Well, I'll tell you, if if we draw a really fine line on this, none of us can ever speak to anybody. No pastor can get into the pulpit and preach anything. The reality is we are all sinners, but that does not mean having been given the authority of God to do what? Train up your children in the way they should go, to teach them about Jesus all the time, and to not make them bonkers. So if you are struggling with this internal balance, let me encourage you to release the pressure by repenting. How's about you tell your kids before you tell them how terrible they've done, how terrible you are? Hey, honey, you know how you disrespected your mother? I get that. I used to do that so much. And wow, how I wish I could go back and change that. I I, I understand where you're coming from. I know why you get frustrated, but that doesn't make it right. You and I are sinners, and we need a savior, and we need to repent when we've done wrong. So I want to challenge you to do that right now. Why don't you go talk to your mom? radically different approach. Hey, how dare you talk to your mother like that? Because then echoing in the back of your head, you're going, you know, I kind of talk to my wife like that, and how dare I tell my kids that? How's about becoming a confessing home, a home that admits, you know what, your dad sins here. Your mom is a sinner. See, I feel comfortable saying that. I was always comfortable telling the kids that. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but your mom, my wife, is a sinner. It's so easy to say somebody else's. It is wicked hard to say that you've got a wicked heart, isn't it? Become that home. Become the transparent dad. They know anyway. I've got news for you. They know already. And by the way, if you don't think that they know, you testified publicly that you are that when you became a Christian. So become a repenting home, a confessional home, a transparent home, and you will have no problem then approaching another person. And you know how you're going to do it? Humbly. Because if you're trying to keep those sins locked behind a closed door so that you've got some sort of authority to tell them you're going to come at them sitting on some sort of perch of superiority, looking down on them, chastising them and correcting them so that they can behave the way that you think you want them to think about you. And that is a mess. And it is the easiest pattern to fall into. Admit what they already know. Repent when you sin. And as you go about correcting, just a challenge, whatever it is, See if you've ever done it before you talk to them about it. Just think of it. Okay, you've got a you've got a kid, some teenager, and he's struggling with lust. And you know it. Maybe he's maybe he's looking at pornography. Okay, we're talking about a bad sin here. All right, Dad, you ever lusted? Now go talk to your boy. Mom, your girl is being a little bit flirty. You ever desired the attention of Anybody? Okay, you've done a similar sort of thing. And that allows me then to enter into the confrontation, not with a desire to merely correct behavior, but as a fellow sinner seeking to help them grow in their what? What? What do you want from your kid? What do you ultimately want from your kid? Let's say you've got an angry kid and you want to deal with it. And you've forgotten that you've ever been angry, you know, like when you drive a car. And everybody in, the, in your car knows how you feel about bad drivers. But nevertheless, you've got a kid with anger issues. What do you want from them? 
you, you want them to not be angry. Too low of a goal. Too low. Your, your sights are not nearly high enough. Oh, okay, so then what I want for them is to understand biblically why it's bad. Too low of a goal. You don't just want them to stop being angry. I know that's a part of the package. But what you want is for your child to love Jesus more. That's the goal. It is not behavioral modification. It is loving Jesus more because then they desire to sin less. That's the goal of biblical counseling, by the way. You think biblical counseling is, oh, they're going to get into my emotional mess and they're going to untangle it. They're going to give me the little key to unlock the door to happiness, to peace, to calm, to not fretting, uh, to not lusting, to not having. No, not what they're going to do with you. They're going to teach you to love Jesus more and see how that should infect and invade your emotional struggle. And that's the same thing with parents. So you've got a kid with anger problems instead of just, hey, you get mad one more time, Pally. You've got to be more like your dad. How's about son? It's probably not going to come as a shock to you, but uh, you've seen your dad get I've been angry with you, and you know what? Let me just repent of that again. I'm so sorry that I've been angry with you. I, I, I really, of all people, I, 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 I should never get mad at anybody, but I do. I get it. I understand. You know what that is, honey? It's pride. I'm not getting my way. I think that I deserve everything to be exactly the way that it should be for me, the way that I've ordered it in my brain. The script I've written, if it is not performed that way, ooh, does the director get mad. And I'm sorry. And I've been noticing you, 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 you took after your dad. <laughs> the fruit didn't fall very far from the tree. You know, everybody struggles with it. And let me tell you about this time and that time and this time and that time. Now, what do you think is motivating that in your heart? What do you think is driving it? Do you, would, you, would you agree that it is also pride, that you're mad, that you're not getting your way? You know what the Bible says that is? It's an idol. Here's the problem. God will not tolerate idols. And guess what? Idols will always break the hearts of their worshipers. They're never satisfied. And that means we've got an idolatry problem, and we need to kick the idol of pride off of the throne of our hearts, and we need Jesus sitting there. And here's how he gets there. He deserves to be there because he's the God who died for me while I was yet angry. Why don't we talk to our Savior? Why don't we both repent? And then you can go talk to the people that you were angry at today and do what you think is best. Hmm? Now, that's a little different, isn't it? Why? Because the goal is not to correct behavior. It is to increase our child's love for Jesus. And if you have not been parenting that way and you think it's too late, it's not. Jump on it now. Start repenting for what they already know anyway. Start repenting today and you watch the healing begin. I promise you, this is Wretched Radio. That was from Wretched's YouTube page, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D, Wretched. And how can you tell your family they're sinning when you sin too? And you can see that on YouTube and also you can see their radio I mean, see the TV show and a radio sh- you hear the radio show and on wretched.org. That's W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D dot O-R-G, wretched.org. Check that out. Thanks. 
And now this is from called what? When we understand the text. W W U T T. Romans 13, 1 and 2 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. So this means Christians must do whatever the government tells them to do, right? And never criticize even wicked rulers, capiche? No, that's not what this means. To be subject means to yield to authority, and as Christians, we recognize there is no authority except from God. Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. That's quite a statement to make to a ruler of Rome, and yet Jesus submitted to that authority in submission to the Father. Now, some will say we should critique policies, not people, but evil policies come from evil people. Abortion, same-sex marriage, porn, transgender laws, drag queen story hour at the public library, these things are wicked. Jesus said out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, and evil policies. John the Baptist spoke out against King Herod's sin, and John was beheaded. He did not merely critique policies. He critiqued an unlawful life, not by Rome standards, but God's. His word has authority over all people, even in the government. The Bible says that the Lord's servant corrects opponents with gentleness. We can do this. In fact, we must. And still be subject to the governing authorities when we understand the text. John MacArthur, what happens when you die? Well, when you die, uh, you go to one of two places, according to Scripture. You go out of the presence of God forever, or you go into the presence of God forever, depending. Depending upon your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which is, according to the Bible, the only way to enter heaven. So therefore, Jew or Muslim or Buddhist will not go to heaven. Yeah, Christian theology and the Scripture says that only through faith in Jesus Christ... And you, and then when we say what happened, what happens? Do you go somewhere as a body? Is it... uh, no, your your body stays. We go to the funeral. We see the body. It goes into the grave. It decays. Your spirit immediately goes either in the presence of God or out, waiting the final resurrection. There will be a resurrection of all bodies in the end, a resurrection unto life or a resurrection unto damnation. But you don't know. You don't know, no, do you? How can you know? Because the Bible says so, and I well, believe the Bible. Well, I believe the Bible, but I believe the Bible can be defended. I believe through the centuries the Bible has stood the test of intense scrutiny, and it is the real and true revelation of God, and it speaks truly about life and death. And someone has been there and come back, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved from hell and have everlasting life with God in heaven when we understand the text. That was what? WWTT when we understand the text. And it's on YouTube as WWTT their channel. And also they have a website www.utt.com That's www.utt.com And thanks for listening to us. Me and Wes Kemshaw here on Truth Be Told Radio. And now, do this. Get social with Truth Be Told Radio. Check us out on our Facebook like page at Truth Be Told Radio. 
You can find our website at truthbetoldradio.com. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-E-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O dot C-O-M. Truthbetoldradio.com. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as Truth, the letter B, then Told Radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is Truth, the letter B only, not B-E, Told Radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M. Smilesandstuff.com. So stay social with us, and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. Thinking how does one define wise Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer Fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder But as the beat plays, they lose wonder After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet But it's part of common sense that the artist time will end To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend They don't come close to understanding How you can go from most demanded To abandoned in the ocean stranded Surrounded by the waves of your weariness Some things you only learn from age and experience And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see The time is coming when they will be a faded memory Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who yeah. it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you are stuck I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reach and gasp But he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared at the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuff with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. 
pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness, you gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like petrol. The new praise that made the waves in the metro was praised for days, but just a phase like retro and fades like echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few Even no experience to tell you that it's true On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist Wisdom, the sound of the stages, resounding for ages The older I get, I notice it The whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages The holy writ, not the cash speech of the reverend But what a man sees under heaven Ecclesiastes 111 No matter who you are, death aims to stop ya Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra Before your time is done, meet the timeless one The dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun King Jesus, astounds and amazes He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages So let us praise the one who made the Everglades Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never fade Never fade, never fade That's all I got for Truth Be Told Radio. Thanks for listening. And I go out with Yankee and his friends and the VIBL. Bye for now.